This is the Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. Oh, the gorgeous strains of Keith Mansfield. Take a bow, you genius in a suit. The last in the series, of course, read me a poem. Michelle Leggett, former poet laureate, whatever the hell that means in New Zealand, uh, she's going to read us one and tell us why it's groovy and it has connection with our outsider tale, which is why we're playing the story of John Douglas Starkey, a madman of World War I after 11 o'clock. Next up, though, he's training at the leash. Yeah, the leash. Uh, the inimitable John Dippick. And his last appearance on the Weekend Variety Wireless after this commercial break. The most interesting radio show on planet Earth. The Weekend Variety Wireless. On Radio Live. For the very last time, here he is. The U.S. is the least qualified guy. <laughs> you got so it. Look what they are doing today. Yet, this guy is telling us it's better for you to shut up. Shut Hello. up. Hi, John. Graham, good. Last one. Yeah. Wow, it's been a good ride. It good has, ride. hasn't it? It's been a really good ride. You yep. came into the studio when I was uh, doing breakfast at BFM. And you'd written a book, Gullible's Travels? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What a cracking read. Yeah. It's still a great read. Yeah, it's still you write there. really, really well, John, and that's something well, I... It, it's remiss, I feel remiss, uh, bad, <laughs> that um, I haven't extolled the virtues of your writing. Oh, um, that's all right. It's that's really, right. really good. I cracked up with well, Gullible's Travels. had a few lines in there. Yeah, especially with <laughs> beetroot and San Francisco combined with a hamburger. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been a hell of a time. Yep. And it's not as if uh, the United States hasn't provided us with uh, plenty of stuff. Oh, jeez, I'll tell you. I mean, this week has just been a ripper. And what I'm going to do uh, tonight, um, I'm just going to read off my, um, my notes because I write notes during the week as I see stuff and just jot down stuff. And normally I edit them and kind of put it all in order but not not tonight tonight we're just going to go straight off the top here's the first one chief of staff toxic trump syndrome one of the most powerful jobs in washington trump can't fill this post why because he's a liar he's mean he's cruel he's incompetent there are so many criminal investigations surrounding that nobody trusts anyone in the white house and if you take this job your future employment is tainted Mm -hmm. One of the most one of the most coveted jobs in Washington, chief of staff of the White House, he's turned into a pile of shit. It's the trickiest <laughs> job in the world. Tough job. Now, if you were to take it with the best intention to try and steer America away from a seven-year-old with too many buttons yep. and do your best, yep. it's really hard still not to be tainted. Yeah. Yeah, the you, best intentions you might have. Yeah, uh, totally. You're just not going to take this job. I mean, because... You know, the, nobody has been able to last in this job because actually Trump is his own chief of staff because he tweets everything and talks about everything yeah. and listens to no one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a new type of communication. Yeah. The internet, hello, it's come home. <laughs> We've got to f figure this out. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, though, may I quote Barack Obama? 
Yeah. This is not just a matter of no drama Obama. This is, this is what I really believe. It is true that behind closed doors I curse more than I do. <laughs> and sometimes I get mad and frustrated like everybody else does. But at my core, I think we're going to be okay. I think so too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I do. I do. This is the real... I mean, it's 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 just such a tumbleweed right now that it's, it's just going to kind of like blow on through yeah. at some point. Here's the second one. This, and this is where Trump's really in the shit now. I mean, it, deep shit, folks. All you guys who support him. Trump tweets that his hush money payments to two women he had sex with was a legal deal with his lawyer. What a lying piece of shit. The money was funneled through the National Enquirer newspaper and several offshore limited companies with both Cohen and Trump lying about it over and over and over for a year. Prosecutors call this consciousness of guilt because you knew it was illegal. Otherwise, you wouldn't have lied. Yeah. And here's the deal. Uh, Cohen testified, finally got, you know, he testified and in, in pleaded in court and uh, said that Trump directed him to do this. And then Trump came out and said it wasn't, you know, it was just a, a legal thing, which it's not. It's a federal crime. But the big thing this week is David Pecker. I love that name. The Pecker. The Pecker, uh -huh. who was the CEO. How do you get through high school with a name like that? Oh, God, it would be tough. <laughs> it would be tough. Wiener. Yeah. <laughs> he just got it out. Anyway, the the, the <laughs> whip that baby out. <laughs> the Pecker, uh, who is the CEO of American Media Inc., which owns the National Enquirer, also came out this week and said that yes, he paid hush money to Karen McDougal, a Playboy model, to affect and influence the election at the request of Trump. And there was a meeting... To, to influence his reputation. No, bullshit. Bullshit. Yeah, because yeah, no, his reputation no, no. His is reputation, part of the election. No, his reputation, shit. He had no reputation. But yeah, okay, if you want to put it in those terms. Yeah. Because this... Um, uh, Cohen, his personal, <laughs> <laughs> Cohen, his personal lawyer, and Pecker met in an office with a third person. And this week they found out, guess who the third person was? Hillary. Donald Trump. Oh. And he directed this payment because these two payments between Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal both came out right after the I Can Grab Women by the Pussy Tape. Mm. So that really did put a dent in him. They it, let it, you grab them by the pussy Yeah, tape. they let you grab yeah, them by yeah, the pussy. Yeah, okay. Yeah. They, that put a dent no in him. No fake news here, please. No, I, I hear you. I'm on top of it. Good on you. So both payments were made to influence the election to protect his reputation for an accumulation of sex scandals and that's a federal crime that is a federal crime and so eventually he's going to have to pay for that yep. and we and the thing is i mean you know all the republican congressmen grassley and all these jerk offs i hate the republicans trying to follow trump more than i hate trump yeah, yeah. I really do, because you'd think they'd have some balls. Just you'd think they'd have some integrity. Just to the stand integrity on your own two feet. Of, uh, I don't know. Oh, I just say it. Reagan, maybe? Or yeah, I don't know. Who knows? They of got anybody. None. They, they got, got none. They got zero. They got less than zero. It's, it, they're showing us that all they want to do is be in the winning camp. Yeah. Yeah, they're just, it's just power hungry, you know, and they're all going down in history as total scumbags. But see, the thing is, like Grassley and all these guys, you know, Grant, Lindsey Graham, they've come out and said that, you know, um, that Cohen's a liar. 
And then uh, Stephanopoulos interviewed Cohen on television this week, mm. and he said, well, why should we believe you? I mean, and, and he said, because I'm telling the truth. And the prosecutors have corroborating evidence in written form and audio tapes. Mm -hmm. And you know that. The Southern District of New York or Mueller or the FBI are not going to rely on one guy's word that something happened. They've got corroborating. I mean, we've, we've heard him on tape anyway. Mm. So he's in deep shit there. My favorite answer to any question, actually, if I was uh, uh, in there being asked by Mueller something or other, just ask me something. Did the sun come up today? Should you want to know? Don't you mind about the future? Just evoke Jesus. <laughs> That's great. What the hell do you want to know that for? Yeah. <laughs> I'm Jesus. You know. Carry on. <laughs> it's mad tonight. Why not? Yeah. Well, this is sad. Where's the empathy? Seven-year-old dies in U.S. custody. No help. White House says, not our problem, not our fault. It's the dad's fault. But everything they do at the border is draconian. They make everything so difficult. Once you're in the, you know, once the feds take you, you're in their care, and they did not care for this little girl at all. And she ended up little uh, Guatemala. How did the girl get there? A little Guatemala. Um, the, the dad and their little girl walked from Guatemala. Illegally immigrated. To the border. No, they didn't illegally immigrate. They walked in, and they immediately went to the authorities and said, we are seeking asylum which is guaranteed in the Constitution of the United States of America. So screw all the bullshit about illegal bullshit. They walked over, they turned themselves in, and said, we are seeking asylum mm -hmm. from an asshole country where they're trying to kill us. Right. And they killed them in America. They were offered asylum in Mexico, and they didn't take it. Well, I don't know. I don't know this particular case. Mm -hmm. But they, they duly processed their constitutional rights. And their White House yeah. said, no, it's not our problem. It's a dad's problem. But it's not. It's just, you know, they were in federal custody, and they did nothing to help this little girl. They waited 90 minutes in the bus to do anything, and there are stations along the way where you can call people. There are emergency medical people that will come if you got a problem. And they did jack shit, and they got no empathy at all. Not our problem. Nope, not us. Here's a good one. Trump says if he's impeached, his fan base would revolt. <laughs> what pitchforks and you know string maybe them up? <laughs> yeah well just like the people revolted when he was elected the people that didn't want him elected they revolted yeah there yeah, were marching. riots on the streets no. the motorways were taken over there were bloody riots on oh, the streets oh bullshit there, there were there were marching. the motorways were taken they were over protesting the peaceful look protests. at antifa what they did yeah yeah yeah. There were. There were riots on the streets. It would be the same except the other way around. Yeah, well, you know. Nobody in Antifa drove a car into a crowd of people and killed a woman. No. And that, they, asshole, they, that they, asshole got they lit, life in prison they, they plus lit, 419 years. They people on the oh, head. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They did a whole lot of awful shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not as much as the white supremacists. Not even close. Not as much as the Nazis. Here's, uh, this week was the 50th. It'd be hard pressed to find a Nazi for God's sake. They're out there. Oh, shit, you kidding me? In Illinois? Go to Illinois. Check it out. Chicago. All right. You'd be surprised. Today, or this week, was the 50th anniversary of Mudder's Ridge. And Mudder's Ridge is a, a ridge in Vietnam. And a young second lieutenant, Robert Muller III, was in charge of a platoon that had to charge up this ridge. And um, it was, like, huge, heavy firefights. I mean, they ended up killing 200 Viet Cong. And a lot of them got wiped out. But, but Mueller, in the heat of the battle, under intense fire, 
ran down and grabbed two Marines that were wounded, got them to safety, and then kept on, you know, going until they, they got the ridge. Later on in Vietnam, Robert Mueller was shot through the thigh with a with a AK-47, continued to fight, carried on. He received a Bronze Star with Valor and a Purple Heart. And I only bring this up because that piece of shit Trump degrades this guy. Mm. And they're not even in the same universe. Not even close. No, they're not. No, they're not. Okay, here's here's one that What's I... What's Trump's service record? Nothing, isn't it? Nothing. He got mm. bone spurs, you know, while he was running around university. Which, you know... They can I'm, smart. You know, yeah, well, whatever, mm. you know. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, you get whatever. If you got bone spurs, or you got a medical condition, you got bad knees, yeah. you know, that's, that's, you know, whatever. But don't, don't go around degrading people that served. Okay. Screw you. Good. Trump's brand, his name is crumbling. People are taking his name off a building. Oh, that's not surprising. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm just saying. You know, there was a poor little kid that had the last name of Trump in elementary school. He had to change his name. That's like the person who was Lee Oswald, the panel beater from um, Spokane, Washington. It's Spokane. Whatever. It's not Kane. It's Spokane. Spokane, Washington. It's an Indian See, wouldn't name. You, you wouldn't want to be that guy, would you? Well, no, you wouldn't. But, you know, see, you always bring up bullshit. How about Obama? That's not bullshit. How about Obama? What about him? Well, what about him? Is there any anybody? Is his world crumbling? Are they taking his name down? No, he's I'm revered just, wherever he goes. No, 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 no. I'm just feeling for the person that hasn't got a dog in the fight. It <laughs> just happens to be called maybe Donald Trump or Lee Oswald <laughs> or John Wilkes Booth or Adolf Hitler the Third. Okay. You know? Okay. It's it's not your choice. I hear you. Okay. Oh, but this is an errant thought. Or Osama bin Laden, the yeah grocer in Queens. I hear you. This is the last little comment on this little bit. Stupidest thing Trump ever did was to win the presidency. He, his family, his empire is going to be wiped out. They're going to be done. They're going to be dust. You know, like right they now. They still right... have a good deal of support, though. Nah. Nah, fuck. They got a bunch they of don't. They got... No, they don't. He's got 30-some-odd percent. That's yeah, that's, it. that's a lot of people. Yeah, a lot that's of enough morons. To, that's enough to keep your buildings up. A lot, a lot of... No, it's not. They're taking him down faster. You, you know, they're taking him down, his name down faster than you can count. Nobody mm. nobody wants to be associated with Trump mm. at all. You know, there's a new attorney. I mean, everything that Trump touches is is investigated. There's a new attorney general, Letitia James, uh, in New York. And she's going after, she said, you know, in January when she takes office, she's going after Trump hard. His whole family, his foundation, his charity, his business. I mean, it just, you know... The New York Times this week had another story about how the Trump family had a bogus company that they invented to charge people X amount of dollars, get a kickback from it, not pay taxes, raise the rent. I mean, their their family is scum. The whole family. Okay, here's a, here's one for you. Moon landing. Golden State Warrior Steph Curry doesn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> and the funniest thing, the funniest thing about this was ask uh, a basketball basketball player about rockets. Yeah, well, yeah. What was great about this was <laughs> after he said this, um, uh, the, he went to they went to the Kings to play, yeah, <laughs> to play a game. And during the introductions on the big teletron, you know, screens, they had the moon landing. Oh, <laughs> I want. Buzz Aldrin to be there. <laughs> he's, he's pulled out the fist and... Yeah, he punched the guy. Yeah. Whacked his ass. He'd had enough of this rubbish. <laughs> okay, Russian spy... Fem- In no way do we endorse, endorse violence. Yeah. Carry on. Yeah, oh, yeah. Is that a disclaimer? 
Russian spy, femme fatale, young, sexy, the whole Russian nine yards, Maria Bertina. Mm -hmm. She has pleaded guilty. And the other thing, you know, I said before, we didn't know what the heck this gal did. Man, she did a lot of stuff. She infiltrated the NRA, got real chummy. She got real chummy with a lot of Republicans, uh, got pictures with all kinds of Republicans, you know. And what what is it with Republicans and dolly birds? Mm. You know, you got to get your photo. But she infiltrated the NRA, got real chummy with them. Alexander Torshin was her controller. He's a, a chief executive of the Central Bank of Russia. And... They, he paid for an all-expenses-paid trip to this whole group of NRA executives to go to Russia to talk about their campaign for their NRA, which they don't have because guns are illegal in Russia. There's, you know, you can't you know, legally have guns. So the whole thing was bullshit. And they, so Marina, this week, pleaded guilty, so she's cooperating, telling all she knows. And Alexander Torshin has suddenly retired from the central bank Nobody knows where he is. Oh. And the funniest thing about this Maria spy thing is, I mean, it's just, I, I just fell off my chair. They had a, a, a clip of, of uh, Putin, Vladimir Putin, <laughs> at a news conference, and he goes, oh, you know, uh, I asked around. I asked my intelligence chief. I asked this guy. I asked that guy. What about this Maria woman? Nobody ever heard of her. Nobody knows this person. Uh, uh. <laughs> You gotta go. Are you shitting me? <laughs> you, <laughs> you, know. you gotta say that was. Um, Spy's pretty sexy though, isn't she? Oh, she's a sexy looking woman. Yeah. I mean, she's she's got she's as I say the whole Russian nine yards. She's got yeah. it all going. You know the the red hair, the you know the the, the spiness. The spiness. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. You'd be going, ooh, Russian yeah. spy. You'd cool. Be, you know? Awesome. Hey, here's another thing for you guys, yeah. you know, for my my uh, homeland. Taco yeah. Bell's coming to New Zealand. Oh, <laughs> we don't even know what it is. Yeah, well, it's just a Mexican fast food place. It's it's like Wendy's. Is or that KFC. Mexican just to fill out the three syllables necessary? It's not very Mexican, is it? Yeah, it's it's Mexican. What do you think? It's Taco Bell. Taco Mexican corn corn tortilla folded up, baked, put in the beef, the lettuce, the cheese, the whatever. Taco. That's Mexican. Texan. <laughs> okay. Tex-Mex. Anyway, you got that. Coach. I'm fussy about Mexican stuff. I really, really love Mexican food. I do. It's really, I love... it's really hard to get Very difficult. good stuff. Very difficult. Why is it so hard? That's an eternal question. Well, that's a tough one, I mm. think, uh, because they bastardize it. Like Taco Bell's not really fine dining in Mexican food. It's fast food. Good. But, fast but... food is good, but you can make it kind of oh. real tasty, please. I like, well, I like Taco Bell. I can knock off a half a dozen tacos in a sitting. Not a problem yeah. at Taco Bell. This is the hilarious thing here. Call me stupid, but Michael Flynn, the national security advisor who lied to the FBI, once you plead, then the lawyers get to say your side of it at the very end. He said that it wasn't his fault, really, because the FBI didn't tell him that it was a crime to lie to them. Oh, no. Oh, no, I'm not kidding you. That was in the pleading. Oh, that's beautiful. I mean, this guy is a lieutenant general. He worked for 33 years in, in politics. He, he was a director of the DNSA. He worked with the FBI. And he's coming up with this excuse. Oh, that's and you crazy. know how they got him? You know how they got him? This is, and this, is, this is a classic. Comey said this in an interview. 
right at the beginning of Trump's, when Trump got in, mm. they knew that Flynn had lied. They'd already caught him on on a wiretap, mm -hmm. that he had spoken to Klisliak, the Russian ambassador, about sanctions and trying to get rid of them and then what they were going to do about it. And so they knew he had done that because then he told Mike Pence, the vice president, that he never talked to the guy and he told everybody else. Okay, so they knew they that he lied about this. So, so Comey said, normally when you go, when the FBI goes to interview anybody in the White House, you got to go through a whole string of bullshit to get to them. You got to go through this guy, that guy. It's all going to be set up. There's going to be lawyers present. There's going to be all kinds of shit. But with Trump, there wasn't any of that. And Comey said, "Oh well, I'll just send." He just sent two FBI guys over to talk to him. They walked into the White House and they said, um, "Can you tell us where um, Mr. Flynn's office is?" And, oh yeah, right down at the end of the hall. They went in there and asked him about it, and he lied to him. <laughs> but I wasn't told not to lie. But I wasn't told not to lie. Oh. Okay, now this is, we're getting towards the crunch time here. 16 different people in Trump's inner circle have had extensive contact with Russians. Extensive. I mean, it's Russian this, Russian that. Everybody had contacts with the Russians. His inner circle, though, is like a supernova. It's splashed everywhere because half of them have all been sacked and sent away. They have. Ryan Zenke, the Secretary of the Interior, just got the sack this week. Yeah. You know, another one. I mean, they're just, it's just unbelievable. But you can't believe the well, number. It's actually predictable. I thought this might happen. Did you? Yeah, because I don't, it's, it would be really hard to s stick with them and have an organization that had organization. Okay. Well, you were ahead of me because I, you know, I thought he was an asshole and a con man and a, and a, a pathological liar. Yeah, so and that was, means people wouldn't stick around with him. He'd be difficult uh, to deal with. I, I thought he would at least do a half-decent job, that he oh, would get some oh, shit okay. done. I no, thought, no, no, okay. I, just because, you know, right. he, you know what he portrayed himself as, and you go, eh, okay, he might, you know. You do thought some, he might try and be presidential. Yeah, he might try to surprise us a little bit once he got in office. Right. But he actually turned just the opposite, and he hasn't changed at all. As I said before, his his whole empire is only the family and a couple of other people. I mean, a few other people, but it's a very small, It's like I said, it's a mob family. That's the way it is. And so his government has been run that way. This, I love this. You know how they have Pinocchios. Washington Post has Pinocchios. Everybody has Pinocchios. So you get four or five, you know, as to be in the extreme. Mm -hmm. But with Trump, they've come up with a new Pinocchio. The bottomless Pinocchio. The bottomless Pinocchio. And you've got to say a lie, the same lie, over 20 times to get to be a bottomless, <laughs> bottomless Pinocchio, Pinocchio. And he's got a ton of them. Yeah. He's, just, he's got a ton of them. All right, here we go. Last That's lovely. This, this is what I love you units of measurement like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is what makes America, America. All right, I'm just going to lay it out here for you, folks. This is Christmas time. It's winter in America. And this is why America is America. KFC has come out with a fire log that burns for three hours and smells exactly like their fried chicken. Oh, oh. <laughs> how beautiful. So you, can, you can light up that baby and sit in your couch and just waft it in. In doing all those shipwreck tales over the years where you get up close in your imagination with people that are just starving to death. Yep. I always imagine the smell of KFC at a distance. Oh, yeah. That is yeah. something you would dream yeah. of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every time you drive past... Not it, in the shop. Yeah. Out, on, on a cold night, yep. on the street, the smell of KFC. Ah. 
Every time you drive past one and you get that wolf, you go, oh. oh it, <laughs> it gets your DNA, doesn't it? It does. It just does. This is my final prediction, my final prediction. Sure. I think Trump is going to resign because they're going to finally get to him. I think Pence is in the shit. I think Nancy Pelosi will be the first female president of the United States. She's the Speaker of the House, going to be Speaker of the House. Mm -hmm. And lastly, um, got to say, it's been a really great 13 years with you. And I guess the greatest compliment I could give you is week in, week out, you're a professional. You do the job. Oh, what a disappointing <laughs> way to end. Is that it? Oh, no, I'm professional. What's wrong, with, what's wrong with that? That's it. I've had enough of you. you you've got the sack. <laughs> right, hey, out. my favourite moment from the election of Trump? What? In 10 days, the world will witness a hallmark of our democracy. No, 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 no. <laughs> the peaceful transfer of power from one freely elected president to the next. It was close, but you did it. Yeah, yeah. Good well, on you, America. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Fair enough about that. But you know, as it turns out, this asshole is trying to destroy a democracy. John, it's been fabulous. Yep. Thank you good. so much. Cool, Graham. You're tuned in to the Weekend Variety Wireless. Read me a poem. It's the simple thesis. Uh, somebody who has a connection with poetry. It doesn't have to be deep, but it can be as well. Read me a poem. Tell me why it's good. Our guest this week, Michelle Leggett, who was New Zealand's Poet Laureate for a while. Hello, Michelle. Hi, Graham. What did it mean to you? Did you get instructions? No. I was the first New Zealand in 2007 that had five before me who were Tamata Estate Laureates. John Buck had set it up uh, at Tamata Estate and it was great. Then it turned into a national laureateship and I was the first one for that. It was a great experiment. Nobody quite knew at the National Library what a poet laureate was or should do and um, we had a great time finding out. I had a wonderful time. Did we nick? the English tradition and, and if oh, something yeah. happens um, of national importance yeah. you no, have to no, get no, your no. pen out? No, 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 no. In fact they're very certain, uh, you know, when you pick up the job, it's not that. Uh, it's two years in which you become an advocate for poetry in this country. You also have to produce a collection within that time and very nicely there's a big stipend and Tomata gives you bottles of wine every six months so it's and you know that that's just part of it you know the tradition of the wine and the laureateship goes back to the English laureateship but the thing that distinguishes our laureateship is that it's bicultural so you get a beautiful tokotoko made by Jacob Manu Scott he's a master carver from Hawke's Bay he comes and has a long talk with you about your poetry and every single one is different he's made 11 of them for the 11 laureates no other laureateship in the world has that component. Mm. That yeah, yeah. laureateship's very special. Each one is two years, and I think that's a good thing. The English model, I think they're now down to 10 years. It's, it's too long. Uh, before that, it was life, and that's way too long in the, you know, in the modern world. I really like the idea that that role gets shared every two years. Yeah, and it's a nice analogue too with the Maori culture of the tukutuku stick being oh, yeah. a symbol of I'm talking. Yeah, it's a talking stick. Yeah. And if you go anywhere but here, you have to explain that it's a talking stick yeah. as well as a walking stick. Your connection 
with poetry. How did it begin? Can you recall? The start for me really happened at school and I had very good teachers, particularly at secondary school. I was at New Plymouth Girls High School and I believe you've talked at length with Ida Gaskin, who was the most important of my English teachers. And it was Ida in Form 3. And she was totally terrifying to us at that point. Um, I, my classic, my absolute classic, was from a girl at Girls High, I regret to say, though no teacher will admit to having taught her, who wrote that uh, Regan and Cornwall didn't want to receive King Lear when he uh, was leaving Gonro's household, so they went to visit the Duke of Ghostbusters. <laughs> the Duke of Ghostbusters instead of the, the Duke of Gloucester. That's right. Right. She'd obviously used an American spell check, which didn't recognise Gloucester, but she hadn't checked it. But what got me was this, was this typed, beautifully typed, and the teacher had put good at the bottom. She is the person who lit me up about poetry. There was a predisposition there, but she was the one who just made things happen from that moment. She was an amazing person, oh, Ida yeah. Gaskin. She yeah. would have taught so many people, and she must have been so proud oh, yeah. with what you went yeah. on to do. Did she you keep in touch? She didn't, she didn't, yeah, she didn't let on at the time, of course. Oh. Later, later we found out she was very, very proud of all of us. Yeah. People going back to New Plymouth would check in with Ida at Turakina Street, which is probably where you interviewed her. We were there for her 80th birthday, which was a big do in the backyard, but she was still going at 90. She didn't die until 2016. Went down for the funeral, and that was a mighty occasion as well. So, yeah, I kept in touch with her over the years and was able to send her copies of the books and realise that she was very proud. I suppose for most people of a certain vintage, you may remember Ida as the greatest mastermind winner, you oh, know, the yeah. TV show. Absolutely. We were in Canada when that happened. We just laughed our heads off. You know, yeah. We always knew she could win any, you know, Shakespeare. Yeah. But it wasn't one, one or two Shakespeare plays or oh, the no. poetry of Shakespeare. No. It was the life and works. It was the lot. Any fool could win mastermind. <laughs> All you need is a very retentive memory, mm -hmm. the ability to concentrate. It also helps to have lived a long time and acquired a lot of totally useless information. You know, she is she's one of those people that you never, ever forget. An amazing, stern-minded woman, but very, very warm. I saw her a few months before she died and the body was getting very frail. There was nothing wrong with that mind. Mm. She held on to that mind right to the end. Mm. You know, it was it was incredible. And your academic career, Auckland University? Been at Auckland since ooh, nineteen eighty six. Long time now. Yeah. To the crux of the matter. Read me a poem that you write and tell me why. What is the poem and who is the poet? The poet is Robin Hyde, with whom I've had now a long association. In 2003, we finally published very big selected poems. It's the first big selected poems. There are, there are more than are in that book, but that book's 400 pages long, and that seemed like quite enough Robin Hyde to be putting on show. <laughs> I was very proud of, of that particular book. I guess you could call me a modernist, by persuasion, difficult, complex poetry. But I just fell right into Robin Hyde's poetry. She's such an important figure. She died in 1939. 
Had she survived, I'm pretty sure the shape of New Zealand poetry would have been very, very different. One of the very first poems that caught my attention, there was, you know, there's something in it that just catches your breath. Something pops up and you go, what was that? And you go back and read it and it's hooked you. And I think that's how a good poem works. It, something in it appeals to just the, the person passing by and it just it lures you, it, it hooks you, it brings you in. And that's the case with this poem, which is why I chose it. This was the very first one that really made that kind of impact. I can even tell you which lines. Part of the poem is a series of questions. And the question that blew me away goes something like, what is it makes the sweethearts quarrel? Third mouth, pink as coral. I went, oh my God, third mouth, pink as coral? All I could think of was a vulva. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's a perfectly disguised reference to a third person in a triangle, in a relationship. On the surface of it, that pink coral is pink coral lipstick but the other reference, the vulval reference, is right there. And I just looked at that and went, you're amazing, you know, you've got two lines here that apparently say one thing and mean at least two or three things. And that was the start of really taking Hyde seriously. Okay, let's hear this poem. What is its name? So the poem is part of Houses by the Sea, which is a long sequence that Hyde finished writing just before her death in 1939, but she was working on it from 1937 to 1939. And its first title was Wellington Beaches. The Beaches is perhaps the most famous part of it, and I'm going to read the fourth poem in that part of the sequence. The Beaches, four. Sands, sands of my father's town, of my father's triple sea. Once for the eyes and twice for dream, thrice for memory. Quilled in the dusk here, grey and brown, cool with a silver's gleam. Hush your singing and let me down, we shall hear the low-voiced sea. What is it quickens the blood? Smell of the sun-soaked salt-white wood. What is the tameless thing? Gulls shafted wing. What is it lads deserve? White boats arrowy glimpsing curve. What is silk to my foot? Tied on the turn when spongy trees uproot. What makes the sweethearts quarrel? Third mouth pink as coral. What shall a maiden do? Stay true or be untrue? What says the mother sea? On a glittering day, go free, go free. What do fishermen keep in their pot? Cod, garlic and crab they've got. What makes the wanton's bed? Sand while she's living, deep sea, dead. How about her that's nice? Granite shone smooth as ice. What must I do, my sea? With empty hands, quiet heart, little else, O oh sea, still be my child, my child to me. 
sands, sands of my mother's town, of my mother's secret sea. For the head borne high, for the lagging heart, at last for memory. Feathered in dusk here, grey and black, white where the moon's on foam. Hush your singing and hand me back for a bed and a lamp at home. White bed, sea said, rocking. White bed, but not a home. All right. Now, Robin Hyde. You could say for the time, a pretty strange life and very bloody hard at times. Tough. She should have died, you know, many times before she actually did, given the nature of the problems that she was facing. Uh, she toughed it out. She was a, a, a voluntary patient at the Auckland Mental Hospital between 1933 and 37. Uh, she left the hospital. She went overseas in 1938 and got mixed up in China during the Japanese invasion of China in 1938. Got very sick, got behind the lines, did get herself out of China, got herself to London, and she was there to try and get, you know, get, get her publishers to take more notice of her, basically. And then in August of 39, it was obviously in the end just way too much and she killed herself she committed suicide just before the beginning of the second world war it was a huge loss mm. and the name robin hyde not a given oh. name and there's just such a it's kind of a crushing story surround You've done your homework haven't you <laughs> <laughs> just just yeah. surrounding old school expectations and shame yep if you were a woman in the 1930s, you were expected to have your children within marriage. Hyde had two children outside marriage, one of whom died, that's the baby, whose name was Christopher Robin Hyde. Yes, that is A.A. A. Milne. She had a baby Robin in Sydney in 1926 when she was just 20 years old. That baby died very soon after it was born. And she never got over it. She was, of course, encouraged to forget about it. You know, this was an unwed pregnancy. The baby had died. That should have been the end of it. Stiff up a lip and get on with things. She never forgot that baby, and that's why she memorialised her son by taking the writing name of Robin Hyde a few years later. By accident, but perhaps not quite by accident, she got pregnant again to a different father. And that son survived. Derek Chalice was born in 1930, so he must be now, gosh, 88. Mm. And he's still alive. But it was a very difficult childhood for Derek because his mother couldn't acknowledge him. Um, she had him fostered in the places where she was working. She did the best that she could by him, but he had to stay a hidden child. You know, he was, as they used to say, illegitimate. And that was a very hard thing, both for her and for him. Plus, as a journalist, uh, as a woman journalist in the 1930s, she was expected really to stick to the social pages and the women's pages, and she didn't want to do that. She was a gifted journalist. She wanted to be, she wanted to be on the good rounds. Uh, and to be doing more than just uh, writing chit-chat about parties and things like that. Mm. All right, are there any particular phrases or um, things within these stanzas of this poem that you'd like to expand upon? Because it might be, you know, go straight past someone on first hearing. Yeah, yeah, but poems often do. As yeah. I say, it's the one image or, the, the, you know, a rhyme or an image that just 
pokes up. Like I said about the third mouse, pink as, as coral, yeah. that did it for me. If I can say that this poem, which I consider to be a masterpiece, if you think of it, it's in three parts, and it's as if the beginning and the end, sands of my father's town and sands of my mother's town, beginning and end, they're like bookends, okay? My father's town, my father and his town are at one end, my mother's town, my mother's secret sea at the other. And in between, there are a whole lot of questions that somebody is asking of the sea. And the point here is that that person asking the questions is a young girl, it's a young woman. It perhaps is Hyatt herself. She's certainly drawing on her own experience. It's a young woman asking questions about sex. And she's asking them of the sea. She's at the seaside, okay? It's probably Island Bay in Wellington or one of those you know, Wellington beaches. There's nobody that she can ask questions of except quote, the mother sea. And that's what makes it such an amazing poem, that the mother and the father are acknowledged. It is their town, it is their secret sea. But the daughter in there, she cannot ask and get answers to the questions that she really needs to know about. And it's all about, what are those young men doing? What is it that they're going to do? How should I comport myself? And what happens if I transgress? And there's some truly chilling answers that the Mother Sea gives. Granite shone smooth as ice. That's your reward if you're a good girl. If you're wanton, sand while she's living and deep sea dead, okay? You'll be out in the sand hills having a good time, uh, but if you die, you're in the sea. So to me, the whole conundrum of Robin Hyde's connection with the social mores of the times is being investigated in that poem. That's what makes it really special. It is of its time. It is of the 1930s. But those are the questions I would say that all young women ask, all girls ask those questions. Hopefully these days they don't have to rely on asking the mother seam. I mean, hopefully we've got better ways of asking those questions. The final connection, and we've got a bonus coming up, the connection with Starkey. Oh, yeah. Douglas Stark, World War One hero, sort yep. of a madman in many yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. was the connection there? We're going to hear his biography shortly. Oh, good. Okay, Starkey, you've just explained who he was, World War One hero, who had a he was a wonderful soldier, totally uncontrollable. You know, his superiors had a terrible time with him, and he was, I think, not quite court-martialed, but locked up a lot couldn't fit back into civilian life when he got back. He did survive the war, but he just couldn't fit in. Robin Hyde ran into Starkey in 1935. The two of them really took to each other. In fact, I think Starkey did ask her to marry him at one point, and she had to say no. Uh, she got very interested in his war story, and she interviewed him extensively in 1935. And as a result of those interviews, she wrote it's not quite a novel. It, it's very much based on fact. And it's called Passport to Hell. And it's been taken out again over the last four years um, because of all the centennial celebrations. And Hyde does, I think, a really great job. I mean, she, she's doing the historian's job, but she's 
turning it into a really good story as well. She got into a lot of trouble for that book. Various veterans and, and you know, authorities told her that she'd got it wrong and, and this wasn't right and that wasn't right and all the rest of it. And possibly they're right. On the other hand, she did bring Starkey and his story, and he's basically a, you know, a local hero. She brought that story right to the forefront when the book was published in 1935. And Stark, Starkey was really happy about it. I think they agreed to split the proceeds of whatever sales. I don't, I don't think any, either of them made much money on that. Um, but that's the connection. It, it seems very unlikely until you really think about those two temperaments. Starkey's basically an outlaw, and I think there's a bit of the outlaw in Hyde. She's on the margins. She's transgressed all the social norms that they can kind of put in front of her. I think that's possibly one of the reasons why the two of them you know, really took a shine to each other, and as a result, we've got Passport to Hell written by a woman you know it's a it's a war story but it's written by you know a very good journalist and all her journalist instincts are on show in that book but she's also a novelist and it's that combination of the journalist and the novelist that delivers this fantastic story and it's because of her work that we actually had this story which is coming up very shortly so michelle leggett thank you so much for entertaining the program on your back porch yeah. on a lovely warm day. Uh, we'll leave the fantails and the wax eyes and the tui in the background yeah, and um, thank you very much. Good. Thanks, Graham. It was a pleasure. Yeah, baby. After 11 o'clock, I can't think of a better way to go out than playing a really classic outsider tale from Jared Hindmarsh. Hats off, Jared, for all the amount of work you've done, the stunning work you've done, uh, your knowledge and your storytelling ability. And it has a dramatic and direct link with Robin Hyde, the uh, poet that, Jane, that uh, Michelle Liggett described just ahead of the last commercial break. Of course, because she told us kind of all about it, a bit. But the story of John Douglas Starkey, a madman, really, in World War One, And being 2018, 100 years on, I suppose apt as well. Oh, yeah, hats off to Glyn Harper for that amazing series, taking us by the hand through the death throes of World War One, the last seven, eight weeks. What happened at that time? And that's still available online, but get at it as quick as you can. I'm doing my best to get the old audio archives to be stored at the Alexander Turnbull Library, but that's up to them. And as you can probably tell, it's a hell of a time of year to get things organised, but doing my best. Here's new sport and weather, and straight after that, a classic outsider with Jared Heinrich.